Here's one further small section in our text that we have been reading in Mark chapter 3 that needs to be addressed. It is not an easy subject to address in the church, but it's one that appears in Scripture from the words of our Savior, and it does need to be addressed. (laughs) So if you would turn to Mark chapter 3, I'm going to read once again from verses 20 through 35. And then next week we will go on to chapter 4. Listen carefully to the holy, infallible word of God. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, and they were saying, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub, and by the prince of demons he casts out demons. And he he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first finds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, All sins will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God He is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we come to a text that has had many interpretations in the history of the church. We ask for your guidance and we ask, O Lord, that we would see what Christ is saying here. 
and that our hearts would always be compelled to come before the Lord Jesus Christ in a life that is consistent with repentance and faith in our Savior. In Christ's name, amen. There is no doubt as we focus this morning on verses 28 through 30 that this text has been a serious concern for Christians throughout the history of the church. These words are not side comments by Mark. The words that are before you are the words that come from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. For some, his words have caused great anxiety, even angst, if we can use that term, concerning what is being said here. Am I guilty of this sin? If so, when did I do it? And what did I do? Could lying, cheating, coveting my neighbor's house be an unforgivable sin? Is that what Jesus is getting at? What exactly is blaspheme against the Holy Spirit? Does Jesus really mean that one is never forgiven, that it is an eternal sin, verse 29 of the text? So to repeat, what exactly, what is exactly the sin against the Holy Spirit. To answer that question, keep in mind where we are in Mark's narrative, and that's why we read that whole section once again this morning. We noted how this section, verses 20 through 35, have two outer components which speaks of Jesus' family. Verses 20 and 21, and verses 31 through 35. In the middle, verses 22 through 30, between those two components on his family is the confrontation between the scribes and Jesus concerning Jesus' own authority to cast out demons, and then also the sin about the Holy Spirit. In our previous message in this series, we focused upon verses 22 through 27. That is, the scribes accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. The true religious guardians of Israel's religion in Jerusalem have had enough. The scribes have sent a delegation of the Jewish chief lawyers, 
all the way from Jerusalem to make a precise accusation against the authority, the authority that Jesus has demonstrated as the Son of God and as the Son of Man. Mark arranges his narrative in such a way that he places you, the reader, you, the church, right in the middle of the drama and the continual intensity of the scene. Jesus' family is saying that he is out of his mind, and the scribes are saying that Jesus has a pact. He is in a conspiracy with Beelzebub to cast out demons. Hence, in the scribes' evaluation There is no doubt Jesus is demon-possessed, a sorcerer, an idolater. In contrast, Jesus, the embodiment of rational thinking without sin, responds by pointing to the absolute folly of their thinking. How can Satan cast out Satan? A house divided against itself cannot stand. The reasoning by the scribes is absolutely absurd. It is very interesting that Jesus makes the comment about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit as the unforgivable sin in this context. Remember, the scribes have already concluded that Jesus' claim to forgive sins is blasphemy. You want to keep that in mind. Back in chapter 2, verse 7. This delegation of scribes from Jerusalem are coming to him with this in their minds. Jesus is a blasphemer. In fact, their accusation of blasphemy is going beyond the pronouncement of Jesus being equal with God. Now they are making him equal of Satan, of all things. Essentially, they are saying that this Jesus is a deceiver. He is a pawn for Satan in a devious way to cast out demons. People think Jesus casting out demons for the sake of Israel's God, but he is really a tool of the kingdom of Satan. Thinking is the thinking of the scribes. You talk about blasphemy against the God of Israel. Casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub while claiming to be the son of man. Such action in the scribes' estimation is really blasphemous. Well, Jesus' parabolic response about the house being divided has already exposed the folly of their unregenerate wisdom and reasoning.
And now Jesus is really going to address the heart and soul of what blasphemy really is. Notice there in verse 28, Jesus' opening phrase, Truly I say to you, Literally in the Greek, the phrase is this. Amen, I say to you. This phrase will appear regularly in the four Gospels. But this is the very first time it appears in the Gospel of Mark. Hence, take note. We are at a very serious point in the flow of Mark's gospel, in Jesus' interaction with those who are hostile towards him in this gospel. The phrase is conveying very clearly that Jesus is speaking with his own authority, his own name, and words that that resembles the manner that God spoke to Israel in the Old Testament. The phrase even has the reference of a divine title. That the words he is about to speak affirms and approves the will of God. It is equivalent to God's word. Jesus' words are absolutely true, which he is about to speak. Yes, Jesus speaks. His yea is yea. His nay is nay. There's no gray area in about what he is about to say. It is equal to the Old Testament phrase, As I live, says the Lord. As I live, says the Lord. You're getting the point, right? Jesus is not messing around (laughs) about what he is about to say to these scribes. They came with the lowest level of accusation against Jesus and as the Son of God, who knows every thought and scheme that is in their hearts. Jesus here is now firing back at a level of authority that is even more intensified than he has previously. Remember, this is the first time Jesus uses this phrase of supernatural authority in Mark's gospel. It is powerful. It is meant to be eye-catching. It is meant to be attention-getting. Now, once more, what was the issue the first time the scribes thought Jesus had crossed the line concerning blasphemy? Remember? Chapter 2. Verse 7, we already mentioned it this morning. It is when he forgave 
the sins of the paralytic. Where does Jesus begin this part here, verse 28, of his confrontation with this delegation of scribes from Jerusalem? Where is he beginning? With the subject of the forgiveness of sin. Got the connection to a 2-7? <laughs> With forgiveness of sin. The divine. Amen. Living Jesus. Goes immediately to the realm in the human heart. That prevents a vital relationship of covenant communion and fellowship with the true God of Israel's history. Jesus is directing them to the eternal problem that of every single creature created in God's image. The problem of their final status of being guilty of an eternal sin is specifically the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Verse 29. Jesus is turning the whole subject of blasphemy around. The scribes say it is blasphemy to forgive sins. And it is blasphemy to be a co-worker of deception with Satan in casting out demons. Well, right before you, Jesus is raising the stakes. As the authority of God himself, the most serious blasphemy, the blasphemy that has serious eternal consequences is the blasphemy against the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. To blaspheme him means never to be forgiven of that sin. Verse 29 you, you scribes, are concerned about Jesus forgiving sin. You need to be more concerned about yourself being guilty of an unforgivable sin. A sin that extends into eternity in which there is no opportunity in the providence of God for repentance and faith in Jesus. Simply put, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit removes a person beyond where forgiveness is even possible. Even possible. As Jesus says, all sins committed by men except the one against the Holy Spirit will be forgiven. Every sin that we commit and any blasphemy, I want you to note there in verse 28, 
Jesus uses the term blasphemy in two different contexts. Two different contexts. We need to see that. So every sin that we commit and any blasphemy associated with our particular daily sins will be forgiven in those who live by sincere repentance and faith through the death and resurrection of Christ. For example, in terms of reference from the Ten Commandments, idolatry can be forgiven. Swearing can be forgiven. Disobeying your parents can be forgiven. Stealing and on and on can be forgiven. The Apostle Paul is a great example of forgiveness from these everyday blasphemies that Jesus is referencing here of sin. Listen carefully to what he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a what? Blasphemer. Must not have been the unforgivable sin. <laughs> that blasphemy. See the different context here. Blasphemer. Persecutor. An insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. So there you have a contrast. There's blasphemy in terms of sin, in terms of our everyday sinful life. But then, in contrast to that, in contrast to that, is the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. There's two different realms here that Jesus is talking about. So, interestingly, thus far, we really haven't defined... <laughs> What blasphemy means. It is an expression of defiant, insubordinate hostility against God. As William Lane is placed before us in terms of his commentary on Mark. Congregation, we have seen this defiance before in the days of Malachi in our recent series on that. It defies the majesty and the power of God. When Jesus, the true Christ, the Messiah, who is both the Son of God and the Son of Man, appears in history, defiance, rebellion against him, and profaning and desecrating his name as the final and true Savior of his people, takes on deeper consequences. When Jesus appears 
This takes on deeper consequences. Now listen carefully to the dreaded actions of these scribes. When Jesus casts out demons, what did it show about his person? It showed that he has the power and authority over the kingdom of Satan. A few unbelieving demons recognize him as the Son of God, chapter 3, verse 11, and the Holy One of God, chapter 1, verse 24. Also, you must not miss that the Holy Spirit descends descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove at his baptism, which is the day that inaugurates his ministry on earth. The third person of the Trinity serves and participates in the ministry of Jesus. This is crucial as we come to our text. See what is being built in terms of the relationship between the Spirit and Christ. Then the Holy Spirit drives him into the wilderness and accompanies Jesus as he is tempted by Satan. We have stressed the idea of the wilderness there, chapter 1, verses 12 through 13. But we hear, as we have stressed the point that there's no dialogue between Satan and Jesus in that text, notice the importance of this. The Holy Spirit is accented in that text to lead Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Mark drops it after that, essentially. The Holy Spirit serves Jesus in his opposition against Satan. Then in the preaching and ministry of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God is ushered into the world with its evangelistic message of good news that is found only in Jesus Chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. As Jesus' heavenly Father is totally well pleased in the heavens that he has brought this day of redemptive history to reality, the Holy Spirit is always present with the Son as the spiritual battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan is raging upon the earth. You're seeing the connection. Holy Spirit and Christ are always together in this revelation now in history of the battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. They're together in this battle. So as the Holy Spirit accompanies the work and ministry of the Son against the kingdom of Satan, what do the scribes come and say? They say that Jesus casts out demons 
by the power of Beelzebub. Verse 22. Here's the key. Do not miss verse 30. Do not miss verse 30. What were the scribes claiming? They are claiming that Jesus has an unclean spirit. They are claiming that Jesus has an unclean spirit. That phrase explains exactly what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit really means. What the sin is that cannot be forgiven. The scribes have just claimed that the the accompanying spirit with Jesus, that is the Holy Spirit, is unclean. They are claiming that the action of Jesus casting out demons is unclean, which means that Jesus' action depicts the world of sin. You know what uncleanliness means in biblical revelation? The world of sin, darkness. The filth of the outer and inner man. The very works of Satan himself. When in fact, Jesus is performing the work of redemption. That's the fact. Jesus is performing the work of redemption by the spiritual participation and accompaniment of the third person of the Holy Trinity to attribute the work of God's marvelous and gracious action of redemption that covers a multitude of sin to the darkness of Satan's kingdom is the ultimate defiance of blasphemy that can be produced by the human heart. Indeed, it is the unforgivable sin against the person of the Holy Spirit. Who applies? Who applies all the rich benefits of Christ's redemption that the people of God enjoy? All those benefits that all of you enjoy this morning in an era when the kingdom of God has come and the good news goes forth under under his power from Christ's death and resurrection to his second coming. As John Calvin points out, 
in the drama of this text before us from verses 22 through 30, we are witnessing the reality of the spirit of apostasy, of those who truly belong to Satan's kingdom in which if present in the human being, there is no possibility for forgiveness. As Jesus says, Jesus says this, it is the guilt of an eternal sin. Verse 29, one's eternal destiny is locked in place if one is guilty of blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. As Calvin notes, blasphemy against the Spirit is a token of reprobation, and hence it follows that whoever has fallen into it have been delivered over to a reprobate mind. Then Calvin adds at that point, of course, the quotation from Paul in Romans 1, 128. So as Jesus lives the life of the church before us, we are shown exactly how serious the sin of apostasy and reprobation against the Holy Spirit can become as the Spirit applies the benefits of Christ's redemption into the body of his church. Although God alone knows whether the sin against the Holy Spirit is being expressed in a human being, The church must not allow the spirit of apostasy to exist in Christ's church. Those who defy the name and redemption that is found in the saving work of Christ alone. The officers of Christ's church must always exercise discerning wisdom over such defiance for the sake of the purity of Christ's name and Christ's church. But congregation, congregation, if you truly know, you truly know that the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit is producing in you a life of repentance and faith in the person and work of Christ in the very depths of your heart. These words in verses 28 through 30, by your loving Savior unto you, is not, is not directed to you. is not directed to you. If you are living in conscious love of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, these words are not directed towards you. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Don't let your hearts be troubled.
Do not overcome. Do not be overcome with any spiritual anxiety concerning your soul. Just live. Just live by the spirit of Christ that is within you. The life of good news. The gospel that embraces Jesus every single moment of the day. Let the final words, let the final words of Jonah's prayer be the proclamation of your heart this morning. And may this also resonate upon your lips this morning and all the days of your life into the realm of eternity. Let us all say that our hearts abound with those words from Jonah. Salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That is what has come into the hearts of God's people in abundance in Jesus Christ. And that is good news. Right? That is good news. Rejoice and be glad. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ and how thankful we are that as he is at the right hand of the Father, he has not left us without witness. He departed so that the spirit that accompanied him through his whole ministry a spirit of righteousness, a spirit of glory, a spirit of truth, a spirit of amen has been revealed unto us in his providence and in his grace. Help us each day to live in the joy that the Spirit applies the benefits of Jesus in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.